20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast. I am your host. I am not solo this time. I am Jacob Westendorf back and with my partner this time, Zach Jacobson. Zach, a lot of big news coming for you in recent memory. First and foremost, you had a new car, but kind of like Aaron Jones' playing time. You had it for a little bit, and then it was gone, and you kind of had to replace it with uh, Jamal Williams, if you will. Effective in the lineup, but uh, not quite what you're looking for. And you've also become a new father, but we will get to that here in a moment. First and foremost, you were not with us last week. How are you doing this week? Yeah, I'm good. Just glad to be back with my great uh, host here, Jacob. Um, Yeah, I was a proud new car owner. Uh, Obviously, I was in an accident earlier this month in total. Car search, I thought I finally had the one. And I had it for less than 12 hours, just like Aaron Jones' playing time, as you offer mentioned. It was stripped away from me. Um, I loved it too, man. But, you know, I think the dealer sold me a lemon or something. But um, I was towed back to the dealership. I went back on the deal and got my money back. Now I'm back on the hunt for another car. So I'm right back at square one. And, yeah, I'm back here with you. No longer solo Jacob. Yeah, thankfully, because... Quite frankly, a few times last week, I got really tired of talking and wondered what the hell am I going to do to get through this, but we made it through. You are back, and as I mentioned, you have new sons and daughters. The Minnesota Vikings fan base is now forever indebted to Zach Jacobson because Zach put out a list, and I talked about it last week, and it had Devontae Adams as the fifth best receiver in all of football, not on the Packers, not in the NFC North, in all of football. And there are some Vikings fans that apparently are very upset with the lack of inclusion of Adam Thielen, or maybe it's the inclusion of a Packers player. Not 100% sure yet on what that exactly is, but what I think, Zach, is, I mean, and I think you said it pretty well, it was, hey, you know, there are 10 players in this list that can very easily be put in that fifth slot. You just happen to say Adams was the fifth best guy, and I don't think that that's an absurd statement. It's not a huge homerism statement. It's just... It's how you felt, and there's numbers and all kinds of things to back that up. But tell me a little bit, what brings you to that conclusion that Adams is the fifth best, and why are there so many Vikings fans pissed off at you? Well, I just think Adams 
on a consistent basis. He shows up each and every week, and he's making big plays. And his burst off the line and ability to constantly shake guys out of their shoes, you know, week in and week out, you know, it's second to none in the league right now. And his route work down the field isn't too bad either, you know, that's right up there with some of the best. And I think it really takes, you know, some not just film work, but seeing what he does from an aerial angle. Just... You know, even when the ball is going his way, to see how good he truly is. Um, obviously, people want to use the whole the fact that he hasn't had a thousand yard season yet against him, um, and ninety percent of those people are Vikings fans, obviously, because you know, because of Adam the Adam Thielen's hundred yard streak that he currently has going. They'll live and die by path by receiving yardage right now to determine of a receiver's worth, which is one of the most asinine ways of player evaluation and. It doesn't speak much to a player's ability, you know. Julio Jones, obviously, he's a monster between the twenties, racking up receiving yards every single year. But the guy can't score; he's anemic to the end zone, and he has zero touchdowns still this season, as far as I know. Um, I'm not sure if he's gotten one yet, but either way, it's a low number for someone like Julio Jones. But either way, Adams he leads the NFL in receiving touchdowns since he started the 2016 season. There is. A lot of stock, a lot more stock at least in receiving touchdowns over receiving yards. So I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think it's because it's a Packers receiver. I think it's because Adam Thielen wasn't fit. You know, these people are just angry, angry people. You know, and it's not like Adam Thielen ranking so far down the list either. You know, I, I had him at six. You know, like he's he's right there behind Adam. They're almost interchangeable. You know, it's it's. I thought it was hilarious. Right, and you stated that more than once, that you felt they were interchangeable or that there were other players that could have easily fit into that discussion. They just didn't for various different reasons. And for those that use the no-thousand-yard seasons against Adams, like that's a huge deal. Uh, There was one year, I believe, he had 997, so a whole three yards. If we're really splitting hairs over three yards, you're not paying attention. Um, For those of you that are hearing some noise here. exactly. I have a new puppy that is running all over the place. So everyone meet Charlie. She is barking and whining. I'm not 100% sure why, but uh, she wanted to be on the show tonight. So there she is. Charlie Woodson, named after the great Charles Woodson, has joined us tonight on the show. So uh, that's where we're at with that. We'll know. Uh, Zach, again, I, I appreciate your work with the Viking fan base. I, uh, I, don't, uh, I don't envy you because Viking fans are like, to me – Last week I discussed, you know, Michigan State fans and uh, like the little brother syndrome that they have. Uh, Michigan State is that way with the University of Michigan, which is the college team I claim fandom to. And I think the Vikings are very similar. They have this huge inferiority complex and they're always worried about what Packers fans, Packers bloggers, the Packers themselves are saying. Last year, uh, for example, the Vikings are in the NFC Championship game. One of the best spots you could possibly be in. And they're worried about how Anthony Barr broke Aaron Rodgers' collarbone as if it's the greatest moment in the history of their franchise. Probably because it is. When you have an empty trophy case, I guess that that's probably how it feels. So that's where we're at with that. Uh, speaking Ooh. of – yeah, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always here for a Vikings joke here or there. Um, while we're on receivers, <laughs> let's talk uh, – Randall Cobb and Geronimo Allison should be back this week. Um, and they're returning from injuries. And while they were gone – one receiver, one of the rookies at least, Jamon Moore. Okay, he caught a pass, and that's great. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot to say about Jamon Moore, but the uh, 
The rookie that's really stood out is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Equinemia St. Brown made a couple nice plays. But as far as consistency, which is a big deal in the Packers offense, really any offense, to be honest with you, is Valdez-Scantling has been the most consistent in that time frame. So the question I have for you, Zach, is Cobb and Allison are back. We know they're going to start. Like, we know that. But should they be finding ways to work Valdez-Scantling still on the field? Because last week I was talking about, you know, in the glory days, it was Randall Cobb, or excuse me, not Randall Cobb, uh, Greg Jennings and Donald Driver would have one series, and then the next series you would have James Jones and Jordy Nelson come in as backups, which is really a great backup wide receiver core to have. Those were the glory days. That'll probably never happen again as long as we're watching football uh, in this time. Just because receivers like that, if you have a weapon group like that, somebody ends up somewhere else. Like James Jones doesn't sign a three-year, $9 million deal if he's playing in 2018 instead of in 2010. That's just kind of how it worked out and was able to help the Packers keep everything together. But now, really, if you're in the top three of their wide receivers, you've stayed on the field almost exclusively. And now I feel like at least maybe he hasn't earned the right, quote-unquote, to take over for Geronimo Allison or Randall Cobb, but he's earned something. Uh, what do you think that something is, and how should they incorporate him into this offense going down the stretch of the season? Well, I mean, if they rob him of snaps at this point, I think that really goes against the whole, you know, oh, if you play if you play well, you earn your snaps, or if you, you know, make plays and you get on the field more, it goes against that whole mantra, so... You know, I get Randall Cobb and Geronimo Miles and are coming back, but this is the vertical threat that the Packers' offense has been missing, that they haven't had for a few years now. And it goes back to your point about how they swapped Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson, James Jones, how they swapped all those guys in in various different situations just to get them on the field. That was the thing. They found ways to get them on the field and get them involved. There's no reason why Mike McCarthy, who was still the head coach back then and still the head coach now, there's no reason why he can't do a similar thing with Marquez Valdez-Scantling because he has definitely earned those reps. Um, he's fourth on the fourth in the team in receiving yards right now, third amongst the receivers, even ahead of Randall Cobb, despite playing three more games, obviously. Um, there's just there's no reason why you should punish him for making plays just because injured players are coming back. And there's... There's obviously still no guarantee that Randall Cobb is going to play this week. He was listed as questionable despite practicing in full on Friday. Uh, Geronimo Allison is good to go, however. But, you know, Valdez Scantling, this could be the guy that makes the Packers' offense dangerous here. That makes opposing safeties fear them deep. You know, because if you attack a defense vertically with a speed threat like Valdez Scantling, you line him one-on-one -on -one with a guy and just let him destroy him down the field with his speed, which we have seen him do multiple times this season. Um, the first first instance that pops into my mind is, you know, the 38-yard catch he had against the Buffalo Bills. He lined up across from the guy, beat him deep, hauled him, hauled him to catch, and that, that was that. You know, it was like nothing to him. So, you know, if you can make safeties fear you deep, make them fear the pass, then that just takes this offense to a whole other level. And it could be a level that they need to get to right now to kind of even things out to kind of finally reach that plateau where they can find a sense of consistency, open up their playbook more, and you know, obviously all that depends on how Aaron Rodgers' knee is feeling, but you know, that's a whole whole other issue. They just, they gotta get Valdez Scanlon on the field one way or another. Yeah, and you're talking about reaching a level. This is a level that they have to reach because these next two games 
You're talking about the Los Angeles Rams, the best offense in football, and the New England Patriots led by Tom Brady. Always a tough offense to face. And really, I know that there's a lot of talk about defense and how the Packers' defense is going to perform against these guys. But really, you need to go score for score with these quarterbacks, with these teams. And that's especially true of the Patriots, it seems like, because you know you're not going to hold them down all game long. You're not going to hold down the Rams' offense all game long either. This is an offense that has kind of gotten in its own way throughout the course of the season. They need to be able to score points, and they need to be able to score points quickly, especially in this stretch. And we're talking about a five-game stretch now where they're at L.A., at New England, home for Miami. Four days later, they're at Seattle, and then they're at Minnesota uh, Thanksgiving weekend to close out the month of November. That's a tough ask for any team. And when the schedule came out, I'm sure everyone – who was paying attention to the Packers, pointed to this stretch of the schedule and said, that is by far the toughest stretch of the season. Me personally, I believe that this could be a stretch of the season where you look back at and say, that is where Mike McCarthy either got an extension or lost his job. And what I mean by that is, if they go 5-0, and for example, you're sitting at 8-2-1 and going into a favorable month of December that includes home games against Arizona, who sucks and will probably have thrown in the towel by then. And then after that, it's a home game against Atlanta, who usually doesn't play well in Green Bay. I know they did recently, but they usually have not. Then you have a road game in Chicago. The Packers haven't lost at Soldier Field since 2010, I believe. So it's been quite some time. I know the Bears are improved, but they're still not a great team. The Jets are not good. Again, may have thrown in the towel by that point of the year. And then a home game against Detroit. This five-game stretch is crucial to not only the Packers' season this year, but whether or not Mike McCarthy is the head coach in 2019 in Green Bay. Because, again, if they go 1-4, and four, then you're talking about a completely different scenario. And really, I mean, Zach, we were talking about this pre-show. When is the last – I mean, the Packers seem to, at least in recent years, they beat all the teams they're supposed to. Which is good. I mean, I will say you have to, quote, make your layups. So if the 49ers are a layup, for example, you have to beat them. That's how you stack wins. But if there's any team lately that is equal to or more talented than them, I mean, when is the last time that they won a game like that where a team was equal to or more talented than they are? It's been a while. Yeah, like I told you pre-show, the first game that pops into my head – you know, within the last few years that the Packers, you know, were kind of on an evil, on an even level with. And not just beat, but they completely decimated this team was the Seattle Seahawks during the run the table streak at the end of 2016. I think it was like week 14. They completely clobbered the Seahawks. And it was a game that we all expected to be close. And, you know, first Packers possession of the game, Rodgers hits Devontae Adams deep and it's a touchdown, you know. So we kind of got the feeling that it was going to be that kind of game. You know, you know, but that was really the last game that I remember in recent memory that can just that you know makes me think like you know this team played a complete game for a full sixty minutes. You know, since then they've beaten the teams they're supposed to beat, obviously, and I think even sometime within that same time frame they've lost to a couple teams that they shouldn't have lost to. You know, a couple losses sprinkled in there, but um. Yeah, I, you know, like it goes back to what you said about these next few weeks. It's detrimental going forward, not just for 
the Packers this season, but Mike McCarthy's job security going forward after this season. Because even if the Packers lose these next two games, they're going to be sitting at three, four, and one. You know, that's not favorable favorable by any stretch of the imagination. They'll come home from Miami, then hit the road for Seattle and Minnesota. You know, that's not a position that you want to be in, especially in a crowded NFC. Um, and they do. They do have to find a way to kind of put it together offensively these next couple weeks because they've been able to put up the yardage against the Lions and the 49ers these last two weeks. So, you know, they've had 521 team yards in back-to-back games. If they can manage to sustain that same level of statistic play, I would say, uh, the statistics look better than how they actually play, but if they can manage that same level of, of play, then... They're going to have over 500 total yards on offense in, like, four straight games by the end of that New England game. So, you know, kind of goes back to the old Marquez Valdez-Scanley thing. You know, get him on the field. That can kind of help open up your offense. And it's crazy that I'm saying that about a fifth-round rookie, you know. But I, I just think the Packers are the playmakers in place to make a run here and emerge from this stretch of games kind of unscathed, you know? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's possible. You know, the, I, I think that a lot of people are chalking up these next two games as losses, and I think that would be a mistake to do so. Now, I, I get it. Typically on the road, it's turned into the Packers play well, but it's a moral victory. You know, last year's Steelers game is one that comes to mind. They played well on the road, a couple bad decisions or a couple bad plays here or there, and they they lose a game that really they were in control of. Um, but it seems like, you know, the moral victory is what is common theme in these road games. And that's something Tom Silverstein wrote an article today that says the Packers need to prove they can hold their own against the league's elite. And it really isn't just hold their own. They need to win. Um, because like we've mentioned, we can't, you mentioned a home game, you know, that decimating of the Seahawks. And that definitely is one that applies to the question I asked. But if you want to talk about a road game that the Packers have won that maybe they shouldn't have against a team of equal or lesser talent. Really, I mean, you're talking about maybe potentially a playoff game against the Dallas Cowboys in two, during that same run-the-table stretch you mentioned. Maybe last year's Cowboys game with Aaron Rodgers where they hit Adams for that big touchdown late in the game. That's possible. Uh, but otherwise, yeah. it really is road games against non-division foes have been kind of a bugaboo for this Packers team. So they need to prove they can win if they do. Uh, then Mike McCarthy's sitting pretty in terms of his job security for next year. If they don't, if they play like they have been recently and drop these next two games, um, I mean, even really, if they come out of these two games, say they lose both games by a field goal at the end, some fans might chalk that up as, man, they were right there. I'm going to be frustrated because at some point you almost won is, you know, it's kind of like that good is the enemy of great thing, you know. They have they almost won, but they didn't win. You know, that's I think at some point you gotta stop glorifying games like that. So that's where we're at for these games. Uh, tomorrow, as I mentioned, or today actually, since you guys are listening today, is the big matchup against the Rams. Uh, the Rams have been a juggernaut so far this season. They are powerful on offense. They have some playmakers on defense. Aaron Donald may very well be the best defensive player. In the National Football League, with apologies to Von Miller and Khalil Mack, but this is a tough game. It's on the well. When I say it's a road game, 
I would imagine tomorrow's split's actually going to be very Packers-centric. Packers fans travel well. The Rams in general don't have a huge following in L.A. yet, so this may not be a true road game yet. I know last year the Rams had to use a silent count when they played the Philadelphia Eagles, so that's a possibility there. The question that was posed earlier in this week, Zach, was if you could pick one player on this Rams offense to shut down that would give the Packers the best chance to win. Who would that be? So who is your guy here? It's actually a really good question. I mean, Todd Gurley seems like the obvious answer, but the reality is the Rams won't win the game by solely running the football because eventually, you know, that that doesn't that won't lead to a victory. You know, I don't remember the last time the team a team ran the ball down an opponent's throat and managed to win while, you know, not not passing the ball sufficiently. So I actually might go with, with Jared Goff and the, the passing offense itself. What you know, the, the Packers they could contain Todd Gurley. They just have to find a way to set the edge, because right now they don't have a guy that can truly set the edge. That's why teams are stretching these runs to the outside. Because no, that's why they can beat the Packers. That's where they know they can beat this defense by bouncing runs outside, testing their sideline to sideline speed, and you know it, it's work. You don't see teams running the ball up the gut and beating the Packers right now. So if I had to choose, I would go with Jared Goff in the passing offense. And I know they're not going to have Cooper Cup, but Sean McVay, he's proven to be one of the more impressive coaches in this league right now. And I think in the whole. Like the whole schematics behind his offensive mind and how he's making things work with Jared Goff in his second and third season, the last last two years, what he's turned Goff into after he seemed like such a he seemed like such a like a sloppy he's just like such a joke in his rookie season. You know, he seemed like he would have been a bust when he did finally step on the field, and they they completely righted the ship and turned him around. Um, so I. I don't want it to be McCarthy versus McVay. You know, I don't want it to come down to a, that kind of battle. Um, yeah, I would definitely look forward to stopping Brandon Cooks, stopping Robert Woods, and they like to get Todd Gurley involved in the passing game as well, uh, in the screen game specifically. So that kind of that gets added in there too as a factor. So you know, definitely, I, I, would, I would go with that kind of limiting the Rams' aerial attack. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I know that sounds crazy because that's not to say Todd Gurley's not their best player because he is. But I think Sean McVay is a great coach, and this is going to sound like I'm trying to discredit him, and I'm not. So please hear what I'm trying to say. I think a lot of people have – they almost give Sean McVay all the credit for how good Jared Goff has been. And we forget that in that process, Jared Goff was the number one overall pick. And what happened when he was the number one overall pick – is he went to the worst head coach possible for a young quarterback. And if you need more examples of that, ask Vince Young. Now, I'm not saying Vince Young was a great player. He did plenty of things to hurt himself as well. But Jeff Fisher is one of the worst coaches I've ever seen, and he has no desire to develop a young quarterback. He started, I believe it was Case Keenum, and tried to stick with him. And with all due respect to Case Keenum's season last year, he's not good. Uh, and when you have the number one overall pick at quarterback, he starts over a guy like Case Keenum. I'm with you. I would want to stop Jared Goff uh, in this passing offense that includes, you mentioned guys, you know, Robert Woods is a very good receiver. 
Uh, Brandon Cooks is their deep threat. He's a good receiver. Cooper Cup's not going to play, but he's typically pretty good. And the Rams' offensive line has done a very good job of keeping Goff clean, and that's a little scary because they do a good job of keeping him clean, and the Packers' pass rush is pretty dismal anyways. Uh, so I'm kind of with you on it. It brings me to the uh, – you know, I've kind of been arguing with Packers fans all week because, you know, Mike McCarthy comes out of his self-scout and says that the running game needs more attempts. And I just don't agree with that because of what exactly what you just mentioned. When's the last time that you saw a team come out in 2018 and just ram the ball down your throat for 60 minutes and win the game that way? It, the, the kind of funny way that I put it is, you know, you can either run the ball or you can win the game. Uh, what that really means, I'm not saying the Packers need to throw the ball 100% of the time. They just need to use their running more efficiently. Use, it, use your running attempts better. Give the ball more often to guys like Ty Montgomery and Aaron Jones as opposed to Jamal Williams, who, again, has a role on this team, but it's not as your every down back. Uh, so I'm with you. I would want to stop Jared Goff for the same reasons I'm just mentioning. I don't need to see a bunch of teams run it. You're not going to line up and run the ball and win a game like that. It just it doesn't happen that way anymore. Maybe 20 years ago, uh, if you listen to the equivalent of John Smoltz uh, covering the NFL, which I don't know who that is, but for those of you that have watched the baseball playoffs, which I'm sure most of you have, John Smoltz is awful. Just completely crapping on the way the modern game is played. If there's an NFL equivalent to that, somebody please point that person out to me uh, because I would love to make fun of them as well. Zach, we got a game tomorrow, or today, obviously. It's at 325, a kickoff. It's America's Game of the Week. It'll be on Fox. Uh, Tom Brenneman and Troy Aikman are covering the game because the best in the business, Joe Buck, is doing the World Series. So he cannot do the football game tomorrow. Zach, it's a nine-point spread. The Rams are a nine-point favorite. The Packers are a nine-point underdog. Who's winning today? I know this might shock our millions and millions of listeners, but I'm taking the Packers to win. Um, I'm taking them to win 38-35. Wow, I feel like this is going to be one of those offensive shootout games, and this is the, this is how I think it's going to go down. The Packers are going to come out, jump out to a ten nothing lead because they're going to take the ball first, and they're going to go down the field, either walk away with a touchdown or a field goal, one of the two. But it just feels like one of those games where the Packers come out swinging and kind of surprise everybody, and. Before we know it, it's like the end of the first quarter, and you know the Fox is rolling their graphics out. You know they're showing like a one of those slow motion images of Aaron Rodgers walking off the field after a touchdown, like they always do. And the caption says 10-0, Packers," and it just feels like one of those games. Obviously, the Rams fight their way back into it because the Packers can't play a full sixty-minute football game and dominate. And I don't think any team could really. You know, it's, there's there's no. There's no uh, team, I don't think, in today's league that can play and dominate for that whole 60-minute span of a game. You know, because if they could, then they'd be winning games 70 to 70 to zero and all that. So um, I just think Packers they kind of win a squeaker near the end, um, kind of the opposite of what Aaron Nagler predicted. Uh, what did he say? He said they would lose. They would lose right at the very end after fighting the entire game. It was a very close, hard-fought game. Um, I think they win it. Well, that kind of spoils some of mine, but hey, what the hell? That's what we're here for. Um, so, the Rams are undefeated. 
I do not know the last time they lost a regular season game, but I do know they're 7-0 and right now. They're an overwhelming favorite to beat this Packers team that, frankly, well, I honestly think they match up okay together. Uh, there's plenty of information that has backed that up. Streaks are made to be broken. Undefeated teams always lose unless you're – well, even the 2007 Patriots, they lost. There are streaks that are made to be broken. And if there was ever a time for Aaron Rodgers to assert his greatness, again, as the best quarterback in football, everybody all week is talking about how the Packers can't win or Aaron Rodgers can't win in games like this, which is ridiculous. Let's – Zach, I know you agree with me, but using wins as a quarterback statistic is ridiculous. I think that should be like in huge-ass letters on everybody's uh, pregame show, but it's not, unfortunately. Absolutely. If there's ever a time for him to assert his greatness, it is now. I mentioned at the beginning, the Green Bay Packers are nobody's underdog. Mike McCarthy said that in 2010 after they lost to the New England Patriots without Aaron Rodgers, nearly beat them in Foxborough with Matt Flynn. I agree with you. Uh, call it a hunch, call it homerism, call it whatever you want, but I have felt surprisingly good about this game all week. The Packers get Jair Alexander back. That'll be big. They get Bashad Breeland back. We'll see if he makes his debut. Either way, that's another tool in the belt for them. Everybody's healthy. Nobody's going to be sitting tomorrow. They're at full strength. The Rams don't have Cooper Cup, which is one of their big players. They're going to make some plays. There's going to be some moments where you're going to say same old defense or you know whatever stupid moniker you want to use. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think Green Bay wins, and I think Aaron Rodgers throws a touchdown pass late to your guy, Devontae Adams. And I think Green Bay wins 41-38. It just feels like that sort of game. So, not surprising. <laughs> I think uh, I think if anybody sat down and said who are the most optimistic Packers fans, I think Zach and I would definitely rank towards the top of that list. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this isn't surprising uh, for those of you that have followed either one of us for quite some time. But, uh, yeah, we both like Green Bay to win tomorrow. This has been fun. Uh, Zach, it was good to have you back. Tell everybody where can we find your stuff on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Zach A. Jacobson. And before you do that, one more note here. McCarthy is 9-3 and three after the bye week and 7-2 and two with Rodgers as his quarterback. So that's a little food for thought. Heading into, heading into today's matchup. Yep, I think that matters as well. So go ahead, give Zach a follow. If you don't know how else to find him, uh, just kind of search Vikings, and I'm sure that there are plenty of people <laughs> that are talking about him that way. Um, my, my proud children. Correct, yes. And you can find me. I am at Jacob Westdorf. And follow the show at Pack A Day Podcast. Fun show. Good time as always. Thank you guys for listening. And go Pack Go. Third and six, trailing 30 to 23. Two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A gap, but here they come. Rogers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Yes! Yes! Adams! Left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers! 16-yard touchdown pass. The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. Beathard on third, down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beathard looking. Hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline. And intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line.
Green Bay. See if the Rodgers looking right. Throws the right side. St. Brown makes the tackle. He's reached. Oh, he reached back to gather it in. Using all 6'5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds. Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers. Looking downfield. Throws the left side. To Mark. He's got it. Out of bounds. Inside the 10-yard line. My goodness, what a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.